you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed podcast brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. We bring you community discourse about the amazing organizations and people who come together to help make Edmonton strong. Every month, we share stories from the spaces where endowments and communities intersect. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This month, we talked to Monica Robson about Pilgrim's Hospice's plans to build Edmonton's first freestanding hospice centre. But first, we'll learn how the John Humphrey Centre for Peace and Human Rights is helping us understand the privilege of ableism through YEG Dignity Day. YEG Dignity is part of the End Poverty Edmonton strategy. This campaign highlights the experiences of people in marginalized communities and seeks to amplify their voices. This year, the campaign will focus on people living with disabilities in and around Edmonton. As an able-bodied person, it's easy to take getting from point A to point B for granted. Here to tell us more about YEG Dignity Day is Janelle Jensen. Thanks, Andrew. Roxanne Yulinicki is an advocate for the disabled community and seeks to bring more attention to the importance of accessibility and dignity. Since joining the John Humphrey Center in 2006, she has been able to be part of many events surrounding this topic, including YAG Dignity Day. We caught up with Roxanne to get her take on accessibility here in Edmonton and what to expect in next month's YAG Dignity Day event. I am a person with a disability and I was born with my disability. I've always been very active in my community. I'm a former Paralympian. I competed in the 1988 Paralympics in Seoul, Korea. So I've been very active my entire life. But I also ran into really hard challenges along the way. And it's mostly about um, society's disability, not my disability. It's the attitudes that society has towards someone like me that is wrong when I'm just trying to you know, work and do what everyone else does, and yet I just run into insurmountable barriers over and over and over again. And pretty much by the age of 25, I was exhausted. I worked until I was about 35 for the federal government, and they offered me a medical retirement. And I thought my life was over. Like, I was 35 years old. What am I gonna do? Um, and it was on that day, that day, driving home, realizing that I was going to be retired and I decided that I would dedicate like I would use my pension as my paycheck and I would advocate for people with disabilities and I would change this world hopefully so that the next generation doesn't have to feel when you're in a situation where you've lost your dignity there's a couple of different ways that I think people react um, and even for me there's a couple of different ways. And it, it's actually like a trauma response, right? Um, it's like fight or flight. Um, and for me, it's a freeze. So if I'm really confronted in a situation where I have no dignity, I just become really small and try to get out of it as quickly as possible. The exclusion that I felt. I got connected with the John Humphrey Center in 2006. They actually approached me to see if I'd do a speech for Alberta Human Rights Day. Then they called me about three weeks before and said, it's at the art gallery and it's not wheelchair accessible. We had no idea. Then they asked me, what do we do? To get down to the stage, obviously somebody's going to have to carry me. And do I want to take that risk? 
And I thought about it and decided that I did. And I was, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it in front of everybody. That I wasn't going to do it through the back stairway where nobody sees. I thought, if I'm going to lose my dignity, we can all lose our dignity together. Nobody learns from that situation if I just back away and leave. And so how do you go about reclaiming your dignity? It's not easy. And it's the same for me, like losing my career at the age of 35. I had to find a way to reclaim my dignity. And that was by deciding I'm going to be an advocate and I'm going to make changes. What does accessibility mean to you? Accessibility means I can access everything you can. I can get into every building you can. Okay, fine. I don't need to get into everybody's private house, but that would be nice to be able to visit neighbors like everybody else does, to actually see my family somewhere other than my parents' house because that's the only accessible place where we can meet. Um, Being able to access businesses, right? Anyone who has a, a business in a basement or on a second floor of a business condo that has no elevator, like there's so many places we don't have access to. Where do, you know, people who use wheelchairs live? And don't we have a right to live with the same dignity as everybody else? It took me 18 years or 20 years to find accessible housing in Edmonton. And I searched repeatedly. It wasn't just, you know, well, I'll look every once in a while. Oh, no, I, for the next six weeks until um, we have a show on Global Dignity Day, I approached everyone I could. And I, I could pay market rent. It wasn't like I was looking for a handout. I was looking to rent space that was accessible to me. It's a hard journey, but you try and have fun along the way. And that's one of the things I love about the John Humphrey Center is that they focus on art and they focus on some of the um, creative sides of doing this kind of work, social justice work or human rights work. And that kind of lightens the load a bit along the way. It definitely is part of it is trying to find the funny. We literally live a tragedy, right, in in the comedic terms. And that's kind of where this all started, is there was a girlfriend and I talking about the fact that we should do stand-up comedy because our lives are just like a comedy without even trying. It it could be hilarious, the the things that we run into on a daily basis. So started talking about this and talking with John Humphreys. And in that time, we've made a connection with Rapid Fire Theatre, and they're going to give us improv training. We caught up with Renee Vaujois, Executive Director of John Humphrey Center, to discuss where Yeg Dignity started and what she believes Dignity is all about. Yang Dignity came out of some work that we of a project called we called the Youth Action Project. Um, and it came about because when the Mayor's Task Force to End Poverty was established a, a number of years ago, we were really concerned about the representation of voice at the table, um, particularly young people. But one of the the recommendations that came from the youth in that first year was this desire to break the stigma around poverty, like that that was a really big thing. And just the um, accumulation of humiliation um, around having your dignity kind of broken every day with your everyday interactions with people. Yeg Dignity is about putting people who live that experience forward and having them share their experiences, but be creative with it too as well. So can you talk a little bit then about your personal experience with accessibility issues? As an organization that is trying to do human rights work and trying to really do that in a way that's really about 
being open and learning and being conscious that we don't know everything and we got to figure it out as we go. When the onion gets peeled, it becomes more challenging in ways to be able to be accessible because I think people do not really understand what that means. All these little things that we would never, never think about. Um, And so it's been this journey of knowing that it's accessibility isn't just about having a ramp into a place. Businesses, when they think about accessibility, think about money and they think about the cost. So they kind of maybe put it to the side, whereas there's very simple ways that we can be accessible without being super complex. When we do our programs now, the most important thing for us is not to feel like we have to do everything. There's ways to work with people. And that's what it's all about. That's what Dignity is all about. It's about, yeah, you're welcome to be part of our programs. And we're going to work with you to make sure that we meet your needs. That's that's what it comes down to. It's It's not about trying to have everything. It's about working with people to make sure that you can accommodate them effectively. Yeg Dignity Day is collides with the Global Dignity Day and it's um, the third Wednesday of every every October. So this year it's October 17th and um, we host an event to really um, create space for people who whose voices aren't normally heard and who are experiencing living in poverty can bring their voice to the table. We're at the Grindstone Theatre uh, this year and we have quite an interesting day of events. We've got a little bit for everyone. So during the day we're actually having a, a program for students. Um, have a space where students can come in and engage and talk about what disability means and young people can ask those questions. Um, Roxanne says she's, that's always one of her favorite things is that young people are, they have, they're not afraid to ask the hard questions. And um, um, and then in the afternoon, we're going to be doing some work on uh, more for the adult population, adult education and professionals is to really dig into that Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and talk about the Federal Accessibility Act and what does that look like? What does it mean? Um is it relevant? Is it where we need to go? Where are the gaps in Edmonton? And then the evening, thanks to the Edmonton Community Foundation, we've been able to do a couple things this year. We're working to build a a, a, a grouping of public service announcements to kind of tweeze out some of the learnings that the disability community feels that Edmontonians need to understand. My colleague Dave has been working with uh, a, a team of people in the community to articulate some of the stories and do interviews and footage. So we want to create these kind of hard-hitting PSAs to, to make people think. And then we're also working with Rapid Fire Theatre and um, a team of uh, persons living with disability are, going, are working together. Starting this Saturday, they're going to be meeting consistently and building a, a piece to share with the community to make people laugh and engage people but to really challenge people so it's going to be a pretty intimate space at the grindstone so I really encourage people to get their RSVP in quick and we also have a comedian Chris Dodd coming out to be with us that night as well who who also has a disability so it's just going to be an, a day of really bringing the issues out and exposing them and engaging in them and having conversation and laughing about them. Part of this bigger effort to really get Edmonton thinking. Thank you to Roxanne and Renee for speaking with us today. Yeg Dignity Day is happening on October 17th at the Grindstone Theatre. It will be a full day of sessions, events, and performances focused on highlighting the lived experiences of the disabled community here in Edmonton. For more information or to get tickets, visit www.jhcenter.org. Thanks to Janelle Jensen for bringing us that story. We'll be sure to have all the links up on our website. Pilgrim's Hospice offers compassionate care for those living with terminal illness. They seek to enhance the dignity and quality of life for the individual and to support caregivers and those grieving the death of a loved one. 
Beyond caring for the physical needs of their patients, Pilgrim's Hospice also focuses on psychological, social, and spiritual well-being. It's a big job, and the demand is high. I sat down with Monica Robson. My name is Monica Robson. I'm the executive director at Pilgrim's Hospice. To learn more about what hospice care looks like in Edmonton today and about how Pilgrim's vision for a residential community hospice centre will address our city's growing needs. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast, Monica. Thank you very much. So I think most people have a general idea of what hospice care is, uh, but it is actually quite complex. So maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about what hospice care encompasses. Hospice care really encompasses supporting individuals with a life-limiting illness from diagnosis and their loved ones all the way through to bereavement. So it really starts when somebody's diagnosed with a life-limiting illness, caring for them, supporting them through supportive programs and services, as well as caring for their loved ones or family members, um, whether that's dealing with anticipatory grief, helping with caregiver respite, and then eventually caring for that ill person in their end stage of life and taking care of their loved ones through that process and then onwards into bereavement. Can you tell us about uh, the number of beds that are currently offering hospice care in the city? In the city of Edmonton, we have um, approximately 79 hospice beds. All of those beds are housed within long-term care and continuing care facilities presently. In 2014, the province did a study on end-of-life care across the province, and it basically was deemed that uh, we should have about 7.7 beds per 100,000 people. Calgary is the only zone that has sufficient baseline for hospice beds per population. So Edmonton is still um, shorter on hospice beds than what we should have. Yeah, and as the population ages, how is that going to impact the demand for these beds? Well, I think the demand will grow, certainly based on two things. One is the aging population, and then two is also the number of people that are living with life-limiting and chronic illness. So I was looking at some of the Alberta Health Services stats, and uh, our Alberta population, 65-plus, in 2016 was 506,000 people. By 2026, it's estimated to be at 786,000 people. So it's a lot more age of an aging population. So what are the options for patients and their caregivers uh, for hospice care in Edmonton at the moment? There are hospice beds in um, a number of long-term care and continuing care facilities in Edmonton, uh, Norwood, the Edmonton General, St. Joseph's. There are a few beds in St. Albert, and there are, I think, four beds out in Fort Saskatchewan now, and there are a few beds in Stony Plain. There are no beds on the west end of the city, which is where we are located. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the different types of beds and care that is available. Sure. So there is an acute palliative care unit at the Grey Nuns Hospital. Really acute palliative care, that's when people are having, um, either they're having a pain crisis or demonstrating new symptoms that are not being managed at that point in time. So they really need that acute medical care to figure out what's going on, how to get things under control. Once those things are under control, then typically a a person can then be discharged back to home if they've got caregiver support and they'd receive home care coming in once a day or whatever that might be. The other option then is to go to a hospice bed. And so typically people would come to a hospice bed if they don't have the caregiver support. Perhaps their medical needs are a little bit higher than what you would need in a home-based, but not so high that you need to be in a hospital. And that's really where hospice fits in. Can you tell us a little bit about what residential hospice is? Well, a a residential hospice or a freestanding residential hospice community center, which is what what we are going to be, 
It's really a home-like environment. So the difference being that, you know, you walk in, it feels like a large home. Um, There are private suites for each of the residents. There's quiet family space. There's other family spaces that are a little bit more active. We'll have bereavement counseling offices so people can come in and get support as they need it. There's typically an open kitchen and dining. So you smell the smells of baking and warm soup, coffee, tea, all that kind of stuff. So it's really trying to manage the care needs um, with 24-7 nursing and health care aid support. There's that real home-like environment. So you don't feel as though you're in an institutional setting. Families can come and go as they wish. Pets are welcome. Children are welcome. No visiting hours. Eat breakfast when you want to. Eat dinner when you want to. Don't eat if you don't want to. Have an ice cream sundae, that kind of thing. What is the availability for residential hospice care in Edmonton at the moment? Well, we don't have a freestanding residential hospice in Edmonton at this time. There are, like I said, hospice beds in long-term care and continuing care, but there certainly aren't any freestanding beds in the city. Pilgrims, at the moment, uh, maybe you can walk us through the services that you're able to provide right now. Okay. Um, Our current programming, we offer an adult day respite program. So that's a day hospice program, really. It runs three days a week, and that's for um, adults living with a life-limiting or a life-threatening illness. We also offer our Compassionate Companions program. That's a program where we train volunteers, and then they can go out and provide visits to people who are living with a life-limiting illness in their homes. That has really a twofold effect. One is supporting that individual and giving them some socialization. You know, at that point in their disease progression, they're housebound, they're not getting out very often, so it's companionship. And then the other side of that is giving their caregivers some respite. So their caregivers have the opportunity to slip away for a few hours, uh, knowing that their loved one is in good hands. We offer a very robust family, children, and teens program, and that is bereavement programming. We offer both individual counseling, family counseling, and we have group program that runs supporting the entire family unit. And then we've got adult uh, bereavement counseling as well. And then finally, the program that we recently launched that seems to be taking off quite well is called No One Dies Alone. And that's kind of an extension of the Compassionate Companions, where we have our trained volunteers. If somebody is actively dying, they can go and provide vigil service. So they're with that person uh, 24-7 until that individual dies. So they're not alone. And that really has been popular within the long-term care and continuing care facilities. They're the ones who are calling upon us uh, to provide that service. Uh, So can you tell us about Pilgrim's plans to build Edmonton's first residential uh, hospice facility and what is this facility going to be? Well, we are uh, looking to basically take down the building that we're in now that houses all of our current programming and rebuild with the addition of 12 residential hospice suites. So we would have all of our community program housed within that building, as well as the residential component. And can you walk us through a little bit about what the new facility uh, is going to be able to offer? What are these rooms going to have that you don't currently have in your building at the moment? It really is a purpose-built facility. We're trying to establish a setting that is specific to those facing end of life and their loved ones. The medical care that will be provided will be excellent palliative care. We will work with the palliative care team in Edmonton to ensure that our patients or our residents are cared for in an exceptional manner. And then the other real differentiating factor is that it is going to be very home-like. So They'll all have their own private washroom. There'll be seating for family. Family members will be able to stay overnight with their loved one if they want to. 
We will have a therapeutic tub spa room. So for many people who are living with a life-limiting illness, it's been a really long time since they've had a proper shower or bath. So to be able to come in, you know, we've got the lift in this big therapeutic tub and they'll be able to have, you know, almost a spa-like experience. Yeah, I can imagine. We take it for granted when you aren't able to actually do that. I I can only imagine how nice it is actually to be able to have access to something as basic as like shower and bathing. That's Mm -hmm. uh, that's fantastic. You were talking a little bit about how the new facility is also going to help with the caregivers of the, the patients. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those caregivers' experiences are like? I think that the toll or the burden on caregivers is so much higher than we really realize until you become a caregiver. As somebody's disease progresses, their care needs increase. And while you're getting home care coming into the home, maybe daily, maybe even twice a day, you know, that still leaves a lot of hours throughout the day where it's, uh, you know, a wife or, a, or an adult child that's looking after somebody who is ill. There's the constant worry. There's the constant, you know, you're watching symptoms. You're wondering, is something happening? Is this okay? Do I need to take them to the emergency room? It's just, I think it's just constant stress. And I know having heard from many caregivers, even, you know, you're almost sleeping with one eye open all the time. And so there's a great degree of exhaustion. Um, and then the other part of it, too, is not everyone can afford to take that amount of time off work um, or has an employer that maybe that is compassionate or understanding to allow that to happen. They may just not have a, a job that allows them to do that. So it really is difficult. So how will you be integrating the programs and services at the new facility? One of the things, one of the benefits that this facility will provide that others don't is the integration of our programs and services. So really, it starts with, you know, people understand who we are and what we do right from the first day that they walk through the doors, whether they need our services or not at that time. And then it's connecting people and family members as they are utilizing services. So we may have somebody in our adult day program who shares with us that their spouse or or their child or their grandchildren are really struggling. And it's very easy for us to say, okay, well, why don't we have them meet with our bereavement counselors? And um, the other thing that, that we really experienced a lot in a former organization was, you know, when somebody is dying and there are children involved, it's really easy to just get our children's grief counselor to come over and talk to the kids or to take the kids down to the children's program area and to talk to them about what's happening and what they can expect and how they can be supported. And their parents may be upstairs with their loved one. And it's just, you know, it's not a separate trip to another place. It's all in one place. And then we're not so scary either when you come back for bereavement programming. So... I think that's just one of the things that just that whole integrated all under one roof is really important and and really exciting. As a caregiver as well, I imagine it has to be difficult to go and find all of the services that are out there. Is Pilgrims going to be acting as a little bit of a hub to kind of bring uh, at least access to all of these various services sort of into one place? Absolutely. I think that's a really, really important role and one that you know, we play now, but certainly I think that will even increase. If we don't offer a specific program or service, we really want to help people find that. You know, sometimes it even means that one of our staff members will pick up a phone and make a connection as opposed to just handing somebody a phone number and saying, you know, why don't you call here? Because sometimes you give somebody a phone number and say, call here, and they're so busy and they're so focused on caring for their loved one or worrying about themselves that they they don't even make that next step to make the phone call. So... Absolutely, we want to help. Uh, So what's your projected timeline for the new facility? 
our goal is 2020, the end of 2020. Do you have an idea of how many patients will be using uh, those beds in the facility, say, over the course of a year? Well, the average length of stay for a hospice bed is typically around 16 to 17 days. And so based on that, you'd be looking at anywhere from about 200 to 260 people per year who would be cared for in the hospice. Have you looked into what sort of the impact the new facility will have on on sort of the big picture of hospice care? Generally speaking, an acute care bed in a hospital setting is about $1,200 a day, and a hospice bed can run anywhere from, say, three to 500. So if we use a conservative $400 a day for a hospice bed versus the $1,200 for a hospital bed, it's about $3.5 million a year in savings to the system. What will the costs be for accessing the new facility? Is this something that the patients or the families have to pay for? There is, in in the philosophy, I guess, of hospice care, there is no charge to access any of our programs and services currently, and then there would be no charge to access the residential program once that's up and running as well. So how can people get involved to help with this project? Well, we would certainly invite anybody who's interested in the project to call us, 780-413-9801, or visit our website, homeforhospice.com. We're happy to set up a time to meet, explain the project, I would just encourage people to, you know, to talk to us. We can tell them all about it. And we are happy to tour people through our current facility and to show them our plans for the future facility. Thanks very much to Monica Robson for telling us about Pilgrim's Hospice and their work in building a new community residential hospice centre. If you'd like to find out more about the centre and stay up to date with the build, check out homeforhospice.com and we'll be sure to have that link on our site. Edmonton Community Foundation has the privilege of working with some very generous donors who create funds that help support a wide variety of charities throughout Edmonton. Today we'd like to introduce you to Joe Walsh. Just a heads up that we were outside when we recorded Joe's story, so you'll hear a little music in the background. I have two funds. Uh, One is uh, Joe and Wadonna Walsh, and the other one is Caitlin Walsh Memorial Fund. I started the first one. Uh, Joan Wadonna Walsh because we just wanted to help the Stollery Hospital and my wife works at the library so we wanted to help the library. Uh, the second one was uh, my daughter uh, passed away when she was 20 and she was at the uh, Mazakachi Heart Center so I wanted to do something to remember her and help other families so they wouldn't have to go through what we went through. I think it's a great thing to have these charities and help people out and and Edmund Community Foundation, they take all the work out of it, which is great. And they're a great bunch of people. Thanks to Joe Walsh for sharing his story. If you'd like to learn more about the Caitlin Walsh Memorial Fund, you can find the link on our website. Every episode, we like to give a shout out to one of the excellent podcasts from the Alberta Podcast Network. So what are we going to talk about, Lisa? Well, I've been really excited for the launch of Otherwise. It's a brand new podcast about seeking the wisdom of others. So they look to create a space for community mobilization and cross-cultural dialogue so that we can collectively understand and build our common heritage on Treaty 6 land. Full disclosure, we have a connection to one of the creators of Otherwise. Karen Tang is on the board of directors for Edmonton Community Foundation. And we are glad to be in the company of Otherwise as another affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can find this new podcast at otherwiseshow.com on the Alberta Podcast Network, and on the CKUA radio app, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts. We'll also have the link to the show in our notes. 
We're nearing the end of our show, which means... News time! It's Will's Week at Edmonton Community Foundation. As you heard from Kathy Hawksworth in our last episode, this is a whole week about how to write a will. From October 1st to 5th, estate lawyers will run free information sessions throughout Edmonton. So if you're curious about what it takes to start and maintain an up-to-date will, be sure to visit our website to get the full schedule. Are you a social entrepreneur with a gnarly business challenge or just want to meet other entrepreneurs? The Social Enterprise Fund is hosting a conference to bring social entrepreneurs together in Banff. It is called the Social Venture Institute Alberta and it will run October 15 and 16 at the Banff Centre. If you'd like to attend, check out our website for the registration link. And the Edmonton Shift Lab is hosting How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race, an international speaker series. They're presenting Daryl Davis on Wednesday, October 17. Daryl is the first black author to travel the United States to interview the Ku Klux Klan. Some members eventually left the KKK after coming to know Daryl. It's a fascinating story, so don't miss your chance to see him. Visit edmontonshiftlab.ca, and we'll also have the link for tickets on our site. We have just one grant deadline to share before we go. Our young Edmonton grants range from $500 to $3,000 and are for projects that are led, initiated, and organized by young Edmonton and area residents. Due date to apply is October 15. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Well Endowed Podcast. Thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. Leaving a review is a big help and we always appreciate your feedback. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Monkink and Andrew Paul. Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.